Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles together tonight and let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter number four, please, the fourth chapter. Uh, Once again, in the book of Ephesians is where we'll be. We are, of course, preparing our hearts for revival, which begins two weeks from today. And Brother Dave Young will be our guest um, beginning on that Sunday, Sunday, October the 1st. And uh, he will be with us through Wednesday night, October the 4th. And uh, we're looking forward again to that meeting. Uh, Many of you, of course, are familiar with Brother Young's preaching ministry. You've been helped by him in the past. And uh, we're just going to ask the Lord to, again, meet with us. And, uh, of course, my prayer, my heart's desire is that uh, we're already in a state of revival before he even shows up. And I can't control you. Uh, I can't make you have revival, but I can control myself. And uh, really, that's what we're just trying to accomplish, preaching a series of messages that we hope will be a help uh, to you. Before we jump into our text, I wanted to share uh, with our church family that as the service was coming to a conclusion this morning, uh, my wife was leading a uh, uh, dear lady to the Lord. Her name was Charlene Beach. And uh, she walked the aisle this morning and trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And so uh, we certainly are rejoicing uh, in that and uh, thanking the Lord uh, for, uh, again, just his kindness to us. I received a text this afternoon from the Frank Suglio, and uh, they had a, uh, an individual saved this morning as well there at the Heritage Baptist Church in Willoughby. And of course, I know many of you are, uh, are praying for uh, the launch of that church tomorrow night. Actually, tonight begins the uh, Get Acquainted meetings, and uh, they'll continue through Tuesday night. And then this coming Sunday morning will be the grand opening service, but they've already been meeting since April, uh, but uh, kind of referring to that as sort of a soft launch, and uh, everything really gets rolling this coming Sunday, and they've got a host of people that are ready to sign the charter and are ready to, <clears throat> to uh, really to launch out as Heritage Baptist Church, and so we're so excited for them and grateful for that. I wanted to mention to you that as we were finishing things up this morning, uh, Mrs. Engel was here in the, uh, in the service, and uh, I saw her actually in the lobby, and got out to her car, and she just wasn't feeling well, and uh, ended up, uh, one of our folks took her over to the hospital, uh, she and her husband, and they've decided to admit her. Not exactly sure what's going on there, uh, but a lo- really low heart rate uh, was one of the issues. I think maybe some low blood pressure as well, and it just, again, wasn't feeling right, and so they're going to kind of keep her under uh, doctor's uh, care there in the hospital for some observations. So you pray for Lois Engel, with, if you would. And of course, Brother Lou is, uh, is, is there uh, right now with her as well. And again, I know many of you have been asking about her since you learned of, of that happening here at the, uh, again, at the end of our time together this morning. Also wanted to uh, just mention that um, we, we as a church, you know, there's, there's sometimes different things that, uh, that we have to sort of just clean up just a little bit. And um, one of the things that I'm so grateful for here in our church is the amount of young children that we have. And I mean that sincerely. I love uh, our children. In fact, uh, I'm par- probably partly at fault for what I'm getting ready to tell you because I give all of these kids candy when they come to church. And, um, and we, we, but we want them to love coming to church and uh, we want them to look forward to it for this to be a highlight. One of the things that we're struggling with just a little bit is at the end of the service, we've got children running all across the front here of the, uh, of the platform and uh, right on the floor. And, and our concern, of course, is that um, that maybe one of our older senior saints is going to get run over. And uh, that would end a great Sunday in a hurry. And that would uh, obviously not be good. And so again, if you have uh, little children, if you would, when you pick them up, if you could just make sure that they're not running all here across the front on the stairs and that sort of thing, somebody's going to get hurt. We're grateful that no one has yet. 
but uh, we want to try to keep an eye on that. In addition to that, a lot of times we finish up a service and somebody's being dealt with still in the front. And uh, it's awful hard to be sharing the gospel with someone if there's just you know, some uh, chaos going on in front of them. And so, uh, again, if you'll uh, help us with that, we certainly would appreciate that. And uh, again, we, we do love our children. We understand that they uh, do like to move around a little bit, and, and, uh, and, and we're, we're glad about that. During the nicer months, I know some of the kids go out and they play a little nine square out in the, in the field over there, and, and that's a good thing for them. But again, we just need to keep a real close eye on some of these things, and I appreciate your help with that. We're in Ephesians chapter number four this evening. And um, I'm going to get to preaching here tonight. I want you, if you would, uh, to look with me in verse number 12. Well, actually, let's go back to verse number 11. The Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, we talked a little bit about that uh, last week. So let's continue this thought for uh, the perfecting of the saints. In other words, for this reason, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ." From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I don't know if you're following real closely, but that is one of the world's longest sentences. Did you notice that? Most of those verses do not end with a, with a period. Most of them end with a colon or with a semicolon. That is quite... A sentence there. I'm thinking to myself that uh, an English teacher would really put their students in some real torture if they made them diagram a sentence like that. That would require some work, I suppose. But we've been emphasizing revival, and tonight I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled "Revival in a Church." And I want to try to I want to try to answer this question: What would it look like if revival ever came to our church? What would that look like? What do you think would would happen? What, what evidences would we have that revival has come to the Cleveland Baptist Church? Prior to the year 2016, I tried to imagine what this city would be like if we were to ever win a championship in sports. I remember thinking about that as a, as a young man and, and, uh, and trying to envision, okay, what what would it feel like? What would it be like if we were to ever finally win a title in anything? And of course, in my lifetime, we had been close on a couple of occasions. I'm thinking uh, the most painful memory I have was in 1997 when the Cleveland Indians, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that anymore, but at that time, that's what they were. And they were, they were just an hour or two away from winning the World Series. I was a freshman in Bible college. I can tell you exactly where I was. And and, uh, and how I felt when uh, everything came tumbling down that night. But I, I thought to myself, this is it. We're finally going to do it. And that wasn't it. We, we, we didn't do it. In fact, it would be almost 20 years before we would finally do it. But, but our teams had never finished the job. And as the last few seconds ticked off the clock on 
the Cleveland Cavaliers, 93-89 to win. I know way too much about that. I didn't have to look up the score. I knew that that was the score, 93-89. to It happened on June the 19th, 2016. I know that because that was Father's Day. I know that because it's also my birthday. Greatest birthday gift I've ever been given in my life was when one of our teams finally decided that they were going to win a championship. And, uh, and we were, as a, as a city, as a community, we were about to discover how it would feel for our city, for one of our teams, to win a championship. I remember in the neighborhood I was watching the game, and I remember hearing fireworks going off in the neighborhood as the, really the first sign of joy and celebration. I have to tell you, as I relived this night, as I was preparing for this message, my wife and I did something really, really crazy that night. Really crazy. I'll tell you what we did. We loaded our kids in the car and we went into the city. We went downtown. We wanted to, we wanted to be with everybody else celebrating and having a great time. I remember we got off at one of the exits downtown and there was traffic jams everywhere and, and, uh, and, and people were, uh, were, were, were hugging in the streets and honking horns and, and uh, just running all over the place and, uh, and, and just really having a, having a great time. And I, I wanted to be right in the middle of the whole thing as, uh, as again, the city just spilled out in an overwhelming joy that filled everyone that night. From what I remember, from what I remember, the celebration was mostly peaceful. Now, that, that idea of mostly peaceful has maybe come to take on a new, uh, a new idea in the last three or four years when it comes to, uh, you know, celebrations or demonstrations or whatever. But, but if I remember correctly, it was mostly peaceful. I, I, don't remember, I don't remember people burning things, setting things on fire too much in the streets as part of the celebration. I don't remember neighborhoods really rioting. I just think we were so in shock, right, that this would actually happen in our city and, and uh, that it would happen to us was, was pretty remarkable. I, I was determined to also participate in the uh, championship parade. And I have my little notes here. I wrote down, it was a huge mistake. <laughs> a huge mistake. But I'd always said, if we ever win a title uh, and they have a parade, I'm going down for it. That was the worst day of my life. As, as, as I, along with, what they, they estimated 1.2 million other people descended upon downtown Cleveland to catch a glimpse of our team and our championship a trophy. And over that week-long celebration, I, I, I was just, you know, captivated really by the civic pride and unity that really enveloped our, uh, our community and our region, really our, our entire state, as Cleveland's the only city in the state that has an NBA team. And, and, uh, and it was sort of like, almost like a statewide type of celebration. And the fact that, you know, again, there was just so much joy that people seemed to have in their, uh, in their hearts to finally be able to celebrate something like this. And then to do so in a peaceful manner. And so, and so that's how our city, for those of you that go back seven years, that's how we celebrated the Cavs winning a title. Now, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure the city would react similarly if the Browns were to ever win a Super Bowl. I think, I think things would get burned to the ground. And I don't know that there would be much left if the Cleveland Browns were to ever do something like that. Um, but my point is this. Listen, it would not have been possible to visit or to live in our city during that, I don't know, two, three-week period and not know and not recognize, understand, something unusual is going on here. Something is happening here that, you know, that, that, that is not normal, right? This is, this is different. 
People are maybe happier. They're, uh, they're, they're more, you know, they're, they're more, I, I don't know what it is, uh, but there's something happening in a city when, it, when a team like that is, is, uh, is making a run towards a tam- championship and when they actually do win that title, it's not possible to be in that region. It's not possible to be in that area. It's not possible, listen, to be around someone who follows that team even if they don't live in that area any longer, in which they're not just completely given over to the fact that my team won something special. They won a championship or a title. Now, when you think of what revival would look like in a church, what is it that you envision or what is it that you imagine it would be like? Have you stopped to think about that? You know, we sit around and we daydream, well, what if the you know, what if the Browns were winning the Super Bowl? Or what if, you know, what was it like when the Cavs won the championship in 2016? You ever sit around and think to yourself, what would it be like if the Cleveland Baptist Church ever had a genuine Holy Ghost-sent revival? What would that look like? What would that be like? Surely, listen, surely we would know that revival was upon us, wouldn't we? We would know it. Oh, there'd be no doubt about it. And I don't know what it is that you're envisioning. Um, you, you, may, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, well, if we had a revival, the crowd would grow. There'd be more people here. And I think that that may be the case. I, I think people, people like, to, like to watch things burn, don't they? I mean, honestly, and I, and, I, and I don't say that to be humorous. I think people like to see things that are on fire. So that the Cleveland Baptist Church ever truly got on fire for the Lord with a revival, I think people would come just to see it. By the way, I don't know, I don't know how, how much of it was genuine, but uh, I'm given to understand we had this situation unfold here in the beginning of this year there in Kentucky at the Asbury College or Asbury University. And, um, and I'm given to understand people, listen, people came from all over the world just to sit in one of those chapel services and just to see what it was like. I think the same thing would happen here. So, so you might say, well, I think the crowds would grow. That would be evidence that there would be revival. I, you know, I think, I think people would sing louder. I really do. Now, I will tell you that I don't have any complaints about the way our church sings. I think our church is a singing church. I think our church loves to sing. I love the instruments that play along with us. I love the choir standing behind me. It makes me sing all the more louder to hear them back there and, and, uh, and, and, and supporting, uh, supporting me. I sometimes envision they're my backup singers, you know, and they're just back there helping me out, right? And, uh, and, and so we would say, you know, maybe the church would sing a little bit louder if we were having revival. I, I, wonder, I wonder if folks would give more generously. Now, to be, again, to be very frank, this is a giving church. It truly is. But I think, I think if we were experiencing, listen, a genuine stirring of revival, I wonder if maybe we'd give a little bit more. I'm not, I'm not sitting here begging. I'm not sitting here saying we need you to give a little bit. I'm just simply saying I wonder if that would be one of the, uh, one of the outgrowths or one of the evidences that we were in revival. Uh, or perhaps maybe, maybe this, um, maybe people would be kinder to one another. Again, no, no complaints here. I, I, don't, I don't sense that this is an unkind, unfriendly church. I don't sense that at all. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you one of the things that our guests will tell us when they come in, and they'll say, my word, you can't get anybody to leave after a service is over here. People are standing around talking and fellowshipping, and, and I just have to tell you, there are times in which folks are still in the auditorium, and we're turning out the lights on them. 
Because, you know, at some point we do have to go home. And, and, uh, and, and you know, we're, we're already, you know, our electric bills are already high enough as they are. But I'm just simply saying, don't just suppose that if we were in revival, maybe, maybe folks would be kinder to one another. Maybe some of you are saying, I know what the evidence would be that we're in revival. It would be more people shouting amen. And maybe even more people lifting maybe a holy hand during a service and just praising the Lord for how good God is to them and just how, how stirred they are about what the Lord is doing. I, I'm wondering if maybe, maybe if we were in, the, in a state of revival, maybe more people would frequent the altar for wicked sinners. By the way, all of us are wicked sinners, but you get what I'm saying. Sometimes, sometimes it's good for us just to come to the altar just to thank the Lord for how good he's been to us. Lord, thank you so much for your blessings. I'm not here. I'm, I'm not at the altar repenting of some incredible, awful, wicked sin. No, as far as I know, I'm as, I'm as right with the Lord as I possibly can be. And I'm just here to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your work in my life. And I just want you to know how much I love you. I believe all of these things are good, and they certainly probably would accompany revival in some cases. But really the question is this, what does the Bible say that revival looks like in a church? What, what, is the, what is the Bible description or the, the Bible evidence that we could say, okay, when you see these things happening, then you could be pretty certain that revival is coming to a church. Now, I believe Paul is laying out a case for revival living in Ephesians chapter number four. Tonight, we're going to look at revival in a church, and next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at revival in an individual life. Because we see that, I believe we see that at the end of Ephesians chapter number four. But tonight, I want us to consider revival in a church. Now, we've already stated that revival begins, according to verses one and two, it begins with humility. It begins with forgiveness. In other words, us getting right with one another, us humbling ourselves, us getting right with one another, and it begins with unity. A church cannot have revival unless they're willing to take these steps first. Perhaps maybe you've thought a lot about that here in recent days, as that was the first message that we had on a Sunday night here in the month of September as we're preparing for this revival that begins on Sunday, October the 1st. We said, listen, if, you're, if we're going to have revival, there are some prerequisites, there are some ingredients that are necessary. Get these ingredients kind of stirred up in your life. Number one is humility with all lowliness and meekness. Can't have revival. Listen, the Bible is so very clear that God is far, far, far away from the proud. God has nothing to do with the arrogant. Oh, the Bible is, listen, the Bible is about as clear with that as it is with just about any other principle. God says, listen, I, I can't even look upon pride. I, I, I can't have any part to do with it. In fact, if you, think, if you think about what was the first sin, the first sin was not necessarily Adam and Eve taking the fruit there in the garden of eating it. The first sin was Satan in heaven who was lifted up with pride, who wanted to be exalted above the Lord. And you'll study the book, you'll study the book of Isaiah, and you'll find he says, I, 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 over and over and over again. He was dealing with the sin of pride. So we've got to be humble. And then we've got to look around, we've got to say, okay, I can't have revival and be at odds with my brother and sisters in Christ. I've got to clear up those things to the best of my knowledge God said, Jesus said, if you, go to the, if you go to the house of worship and you're gonna give an offering and you remember that someone has something against you, 
He says, leave your gift and run to that person and, and, and do, do right by that person and make sure that you get those problems squared away. In other words, he is emphasizing even above our very giving and above our very worship, he's, he's essentially saying this, I will not accept your worship so long as you're tolerating problems in your life with other people. Well, that's sobering, isn't it? How many times have we come to church and we've gone, we've done all of the things that we normally do and it meant nothing. It meant nothing because the whole time we were harboring some spirit of bitterness and hostility. So very, very important. But then we discovered last week that God has given us some resources or some tools to assist us in our quest for revival. These provisions are grace to exercise our spiritual gifts, according to verse number seven. They are the word of God, according to verse number 11, and spiritual leadership. So here's what I'm saying. God has already provided what we need for revival if we really want it. And it's not, it's not necessarily in, revival is not in a person. Revival is not in a meeting. Now we're gonna have a meeting, and we're going to have a person here preaching, but that's not where revival is. No, no. Revival is in the Spirit of God using the, the resources and the provisions and the tools that he's provided for us in the midst of a group of people who are willing to humble themselves, to seek forgiveness, and to be right with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and in the midst of a group of people that are saying, we are striving for unity. You put those things together. You take, you take a spirit and attitude of a group of people who say, Lord, I'm willing to be humble. Lord, I'm willing to be made right with my brother and sister in Christ. Lord, I'm willing to be at, to be at unity. And you, you, take, you take that and you combine that with what God has already given to us, which is grace to exercise our spiritual gifts. And it is the word of God. And it is the spiritual leadership that God has given. We combine those things and we can have revival. So what does it look like? I want to share with you three, three evidences that revival has come to a church. And I want us to look for these things in our, own, in our own lives, in our own context, and in our own local church. Number one, I want you to consider that when revival comes to a church, it will be evidenced by saints growing. When revival comes to a church, it will be evidenced by saints growing. Now look in verse number 12. He says this, he says, and he's given some... Apostles and some prophets, that's the word of God, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, that's the spiritual leadership we talked about last week. Notice, for the perfecting of the saints. Skip down one phrase and look at for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now understand that the spiritual life mirrors the physical life in so many ways. Now Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and in a, with a spirit sort of, of, of almost frustration, he writes to them over their, <clears throat> their refusal to grow spiritually. And listen to what he says in chapter number three in verse number one. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas, listen, there is among you envying, and strife and divisions. You say, was the church at Corinth, were they living in revival? They couldn't possibly be living in revival. Why? Because of what Paul says they were dealing with there. The three, the three ingredients, the three necessities were nowhere to be found in that church. There was not humility. 
There was not lowliness and meekness. In fact, you study that book and you'll find just the opposite. There was, there was division and there was uh, schisms and there was pride and arrogance. And I'm looking down my nose at you. I'm better than you are. I'm of this spiritual party, so to speak. I'm of Paul and I'm of Apostle, Apollos and I'm of Cephas and I'm of Jesus. And there was ton, a, a ton of warring and fighting among one another. And, 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 and was, there, was there forgiveness? No. He says there's divisions among you. He says there is envying and there is strife among you you're not right with one another was there unity oh there was no unity in that church don't you suppose don't you suppose that that church could have used some revival it definitely could have used revival if you would have walked into that church you would not have sat there for very long and thought to yourself now this is a place where the spirit of god is This is a place, boy, there's something special and unique going on here. There is a sense of revival in this place. You wouldn't have thought that at all. That was a church that needed revival. Paul was dealing with them. He says, listen, he says, I want to be able to feed you milk or meat, but you, you, I can only feed you milk because of your refusal to grow. Now, it's not saying that they had only been saved a short time. This This was an indictment on them. This was Paul saying, listen, you should be further along than you are. Now, let me ask you this question. I want you to do a little bit of an assessment tonight, and I want you to be as honest with yourself as you can be. No one else is going to know how you answer this this question or how you measure up to this particular assessment or this particular test. But let me ask you this question. Are you as far along spiritually as you should be? Some of you have been saved for 50 plus years. Do you, in your spiritual life, do you resemble a mature, functioning, fully functioning adult? Now we're gonna, we're gonna look at, we're gonna look at that here in just a moment, what that looks like. We're gonna see it. But I want you to answer that question right now. I want you, because, because you may answer it right now this way. When we come to the end of the message, you may answer it a little bit differently at the end of the message. Because we're gonna look at what a mature a mature saint looks like in our text. But, but, but we understand that revivals come to church when saints are growing. You say, what, what, ought, what ought to be growing in? Number one, grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. Would you look in verse number 13? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at the end of verse number 15. May grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Listen, believers should get, believers should get to know their Savior. You should be growing in your knowledge of the Son of God. We should develop more and more in our knowledge of him. God has designed the Christian life to be a relationship. That's what it is. In other words, the Christian life is a relationship. It is it is a person that I am drawing closer to. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's what, just, just like marriage is a relationship, and over time, as we grow together, man, I, I, know, I know things about my wife. She knows things about me that she was clueless about when we first got married. Why? Because over 23 years, we've grown to know each other more. We've grown in knowledge of one another can I tell you that the Christian life is much the same way? The Christian life is a relationship. It is a person that I am drawing closer to. It is not, listen, the Christian life is not a religion. 
Religions are, religions are systems or series of things that we do and things that we don't do. That's what religion is. It's, it's hoops that we have to jump through. It's, it's, uh, it's catechisms that we have to memorize and that we have to live by. And listen, I'm not opposed to, to doctrines and statements of faith and, and even, even catechisms in that way and just saying this is who we are and this is what we believe. But listen, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is me growing in my knowledge of the Son of God. It's me growing in my relationship with him. Now, can I tell you that, that God has given us some key tools to help us grow in our knowledge of the Son of God? And there's three of them. I want to give them to you. They're not necessarily going to be appear on the screen, but you may want to think about them. Number one, these tools that God has given to help us grow in our knowledge of the Son of God, number one is the Bible. It's the Bible. In this book, we read about who Christ is. My knowledge of the Son of God would be vastly inferior to what it is today without this book. The whole, the whole Bible is about Jesus. May God help us to learn to see Jesus, not just in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But may God help us to see Jesus, listen, in every book of the Old Testament because he's there. It's all about Jesus. In fact, did you know that he is called the Word in John chapter number one? That's who he is. So if you're gonna grow in your knowledge of the Son of God, then this book is gonna have to be a major, major part of your life. You have to feed yourself with this book. But not only has God given us the word of God to help us grow in our knowledge of the Son of God, but he's also given us something else. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Well, we've emphasized the Holy Spirit this year, and I believe it's helped our church tremendously. I believe that, I believe that God has done a real work in our congregation this year as we've emphasized the work of the Holy Spirit. But did you know, did you know that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that when he, when he came, the Holy Spirit would not come and glorify himself? but that the Holy Spirit would actually come and he would glorify Jesus. So if you're gonna grow in your knowledge of the Son of God, then guess what? You're gonna have to utilize the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life because listen, the Holy Spirit, his his sole focus and purpose is lifting up Jesus in the hearts and lives of people. I'm gonna grow my knowledge of the Son of God, then that's gonna be a key, key help in that area. And then finally, I would say prayer. Prayer is a tool in which we, grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. Listen, you cannot grow in knowledge of the Son of God without utilizing these tools. And can I say this, that growing in the knowledge of the Son of God results in an increased holiness in our lives. In other words, listen, the closer I get to him, the more holy I will become. Just, just, like, just like maybe the closer you get to some friend, you know, some, some of you, you, you know this, you'll, you'll come home from something and your wife will say, you've been hanging around so-and-so, haven't you? How did you know that? Oh man, he's all over you. He's not even in the, he's not even in the room, but I can tell your jokes are, 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 are just like he would joke around and you're this and you're that. And, and, and there's something about that. Someone once said it like this, nearness is likeness. When I get, when I get close to a certain individual, I, I tend to become like that person. Here's how the Bible puts it. The Bible says this in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Here's what you'll discover. You'll discover the closer you get to Jesus, he sharpens you. He sharpens you. He makes you a whole lot more like himself. So we're to grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. But notice, secondly, we're to grow in love. Look at the end of verse number 16. The Bible says, the Bible says, make, um, about the body of Christ, according to the effectual working 
in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, the word edify means, listen, it literally means to build up, or he might say it means to grow. So prior, prior to this, Paul writes about the increase of the body. You know what he's saying? He's saying that's growth. The increase of the body is growth. And here's what, here's what he's saying. A loving, caring, compassionate church is a growing church. And it's also a church, listen, that is experiencing revival. How, how, do you know, how do you know a church is in revival? Because they're growing in love. Now listen, nobody wants to be in a place like Corinth where there is strife and there's bickering and there's hostility and there's quarreling among people. Listen, that is a wearisome place to be. In places like this, the body, listen, the body is not increasing, the body is decreasing. What, what makes the body increase, according to Paul? The edifying of itself in love. That's, that's what makes the body to grow. Paul wrote that the greatest Christian virtue is love in 1 Corinthians 13. You know the passage. We won't take time to even quote it or go there. Do you know that Paul says the greatest of these is charity or love? Listen, as a church, we ought to be getting kinder. We ought to be getting more thoughtful. We ought to be getting more gent gentle and more compassionate as the days of our Christian lives go by. Isn't it sad, isn't it sad that sometimes as we get older, not just older in age, but sometimes even older in the faith, we, we sometimes become more cantankerous, more unkind, more rude. You know, there's this thought, there's this, there's this idea among, among some that, you know, when you get to be a certain age, you can just say whatever you want to say. You've heard people like that. Well, I'm, I'm this old and I'm not going to change. Well, that's not very, very Christ-like, is it? That's not, that's not very biblical. That's not, that's not how God designed the Christian life to be. In fact, what ought to be happening is the sweetest, most loving, kindest, and by the way, many of them are, but the sweetest, most loving, kindest, most gentle, compassionate people in our church ought to be those who are older. Because listen, the closer you get to Jesus, the more loving and holy and Christ-like you become. How do you know a church is, is in revival? You'll, you'll know it. it, it gives, it's evidenced by saints that are growing. But notice, secondly, when revival comes to a church, it will not only be evidenced by saints growing, but it will be evidenced by saints working. Look at verse number 12 again. For the perfecting of the saints, notice, for the work of the ministry. The ministry is work. You, you certainly know that by now. Some of, the, some of the most wearisome days that I have are Sundays. By the way, those are my favorite days of the week as well. But I, I, I'll go home on a Sunday night and I am a zombie. I know some pastors like to have people into their home and that sort of thing on Sunday night. I'm just telling you right now, you do not want to come to my home on a Sunday night. I'm just, I'm just, not, I'm just not with it. I'm out, I am out of it. I have absolutely exhausted myself in, in ministry. And, and by the way, many of you have done the exact same thing. Some of you getting here early and you're firing up buses and all kinds of weather. Some of you, you're getting here early for choir practice. You cut your Sunday afternoon nap short so that you can get to the house of God so that you can sit in that choir lawn 
and so that you can sing for the glory and honor of the Lord. Some of you, you give up your Sundays and you, 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 you work with tiny little children and you're, you're, you're there listening to them cry and scream and want their mamas and their daddies and have to change diapers and have to break up fights and have to do this, that, and the other thing. And some of you, you're standing out in that lobby and you're greeting folks and some folks are really kind and are wonderful to be around and some folks are not so kind and not so wonderful to be around. And I'm just simply saying, listen, the work of the ministry is work. It is. I got to thinking, I got to thinking, you know, this church runs buses every Sunday to pick up riders and bring them to church. Can I just tell you that requires saints who are willing to work? It does. We, um, we teach children of all ages while they're here on this property. Every single service right now, right now there are children in another part of this building who, who are learning, who are growing uh, to know Jesus more and more. And that requires, listen, that requires people who are willing to work. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, someone, someone is sitting with your children, if you have small children, and they're ministering to them. That requires people who are willing to work. We go out to various nursing homes in our community so that we can preach the gospel there. Those folks aren't able to get here. Many of them, many of them, they'll die in those places, and many of them don't know Jesus, and we'll, we, we wanna go, and we wanna share the gospel with them, and I just have to tell you, we can't do that unless saints are willing to work. Can't be done. We... Um, we have a, a ministry where we put scriptures together so that, so that folks can be given a, a copy of the word of God or even a portion of the word of God so that they can read it and so that they can understand their need of Christ. And, and listen, that, that doesn't happen unless people are willing to work. I was here a couple of weeks ago, and I don't mean to embarrass him, but Brother Witzke was up there, and I mean, he was flying all over the place. He was, he was, he was, he was taking those copies of those scriptures and I mean, he was, he was, I mean, all over that place, sweat pouring uh, down, his, down his brow. And I thought to myself, he's way too old to be doing that kind of stuff. But listen, listen, if it's gonna get done, somebody's gonna have to do it. There ought to be somebody in this church that looks at a guy like Brother Witzke and says, you know, he's way too old to do that kind of stuff. I'm gonna step up and I'm gonna help him. Saints working. That's, that's how you know you're in revival. Hey, uh, this, uh, every Sunday, every Sunday, our choir and our orchestra and our instrumentalists lead us in praising the Lord through song. Can I just tell you, that doesn't just happen. It requires saints working. We have a small food pantry here that makes some, that makes some non-perishable food items available to the needy. Someone's got to work at that. We have a team of greeters in our lobby and throughout the building to welcome guests and non-members. Somebody's got to work at that. I could go on and on, but you get the idea. There are some ministries, even in our church, that we'd like to begin there are. There's some, there's, there's some folks who have a heart to, to do some things, and, and, and we have a burden about certain things. But I just got to tell you, listen, unless saints are willing to work, can't get that job done. What ministry, what ministry are you working in tonight? It's a good question, isn't it? I would, I would assume on a Sunday night that probably many of you do have a ministry, and some of you have more than one. But is it possible someone sitting here tonight, and you have to be honest. Now, I'm not talking about those who are just coming in, and you've not even joined the church yet. You're just, you're just trying to figure all this out, and whether this is the church that God wants you to be a part of. But I'm talking about some of you folks that have been around for a while. Maybe some of you that used to be involved in some ministries, and, and you don't do those things anymore. Now, listen, I understand transitions. I understand you may not be able to do what you once were able to do. But I'm just simply saying, if you're here tonight, and this is your church or if you're watching online and for some reason or other you can't be here and this is your church and, and if you're not really doing anything, that's a problem. That could be evidence that you're not in a state of revival. Listen, churches that are in a state of revival, they give evidence 
to that fact by the fact that folks are working. I mean, when you come in the building, it's a beehive of activity. There are people coming and going everywhere, taking care of this and taking care of that, people picking stuff up off the ground, people emptying trash, people running uh, vacuum cleaners, people walking new guests over to a different part of the building where they need to be. I'm just simply saying, listen, a church that is going to do the work of the ministry is going to have to work at it. What ministry are you working in? Is your lack of involvement in the work of the ministry, is it an indictment of you that you need revival? I I believe it could be. It's possible, listen, it is, can I also just say this? It is possible to be faithfully serving and still need revival as well. Don't don't just just sit here and say, oh, I'm off the hook because I'm the busiest person around here. Oh, no, listen, you know what I I learned in Bible college? I learned in Bible college the easiest place to backslide was in Bible college. When, I mean, you're just surrounded by the word of God everywhere and you begin to take those things for granted. Listen, listen, just because you're working doesn't necessarily mean that you don't need revival. But I do believe this. I believe that a church will give evidence that it's experiencing revival by saints working. Finally tonight, we'll conclude here. When revival comes to a church, it will be evidence, number three, by maturing saints. Maturing saints. We see that in verses 13 to 16. It says, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's all about maturity. That's all, that's all about maturity. It's, it's, about, it's about growing and, and, uh, and, and taking on responsibilities. Now, now, Paul wrote these same words in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Here's what he said. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, what did he do? Put away childish things. Now listen, you, you must know that adulthood, whether, whether physically or spiritually, is not an age. It's not. Now in our culture and society, we've come to look at it like that. Oh, you're 18? Well, then you're an adult. Well, that's a pretty poor, that's a pretty poor judgment to make, isn't it? Just to assume that an 18-year-old is an adult. Oh, you're 21? Okay, we can even give you a few more adult. Now you're fully an adult. You're fully legal sometimes are the words that we use. But you, you should know, you, you certainly know, right, that, that adulthood is not the age of 18. It's not the age of 21. In fact, I, I would dare say that each of you probably in here, you can think of someone who's well past those ages who's not very mature. And each of you could probably think of someone who's below those those, those ages that sort of our society, our culture sets. And by the way, there's nothing wrong. I think we have to set an age on, on certain things. I, I understand that. I get all of that. But I don't think you and I need to buy into that and just assume because someone's 18, because someone's 21, that they're, they can do anything that they want to do. No, no, no. There's, there's an element of responsibility that we, have to, that we have to take into account. Adulthood, therefore, is when a person puts away childish things and when that person accepts personal responsibility. Now, I just have to tell you, and I think we find them here in, in, our, in our text. There are a lot of childish things that go on in churches that help us to know, hey, that church needs revival. There are some, there are some childish things that sometimes we tolerate in our lives that, that if, we were to, if we were to look at it and we were to understand, wait a minute, wait a minute, by tolerating that, by involving myself in that, you know what I'm saying about me? You know what our church is saying about itself is that we need revival. So ask yourself this question. Because we, we talked about this in the earlier part of the service. You said, I, I asked you to think about, okay, how old are you really spiritually? Not how long you've been saved, but I mean, re- really, where are you to assess yourself in that, in that manner? 
So, so here's the question. Do I contribute to any childishness in my church? Do I, do I contribute to childish behavior? If that's the case, then, then I, need to, I need to do some maturing. I need to do some growing up. Now, there's four things that I find in, in this text that help me to understand, okay, that's childish behavior, and if a church is evident, it doesn't show evidence of that, then they can't possibly be in revival. Number one, let me just say this, fighting with one another is childish. Who says in verse number 13, he says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. As a child, listen, I, I have to tell you, as a child, I fought regularly with my siblings. I was a middle child, an older brother and a younger brother. And I just have to tell you, we fought all the time. And I can still remember my parents. I mean, they would just hang their heads in shame. And they would just say, boys, are you ever gonna grow up? Are you ever gonna do it? I, I don't know when it happened. I don't know when it happened, but one day, listen, one day, me and my brothers, we laid our arms down. I don't, I don't know when that was. I'm not exactly sure when that happened, but it did. And now when we get together, you know, I mean, we're not, we're not like, we're brothers. We're not like falling all over each other, hugging each other and stuff like that. We don't, we don't do that kind of stuff. We fist bump, we wave at each other, we point, you know, that, that type of stuff, you know. But, 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 we, but we, we love one another. We, 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 we care about one another. We, we check in on one another. If something's happening in one of my brother's families, I'm, I, I'm checking in on them. Hey, man, is everything okay? I heard, I heard this, I heard that. Ever, anything I can do? Something I can pray with you about? And I'm just simply saying there came a day, there came a day when we put away, we put away childish things like fighting with one another. Now when we get together, there's unity. We don't get together often. We live in different places. Our lives are all really crazy. Maybe once a year around a holiday season. Maybe, maybe if, if we have an unusual year, we did something last year as a family, got together for a family vacation. But I'm just simply saying, listen, listen, fighting with each other is childish. And when we tolerate that kind of stuff in our lives, you know what we're saying? We're saying this, I'm not living in revival. Our church isn't living in revival. Well, how do you know? Because they're over there fighting about the silliest things. Fighting is a common occurrence among children in schools and on playgrounds and in neighborhoods. And we understand that's childish. Don't be fighting over that. And don't be, don't be ready to, don't be ready to, you know, grow up, mature. Let me ask you this question. Do we sometimes tolerate that type of behavior in our lives as adults? Well, we can spiritualize it all we want to. Now, let me just tell you something. There are some things spiritually that require a fight. There are things like doctrine, things like truth, things like Bible convictions. Those might require a fight. But listen, most of this contention is going to be with the devil and it's gonna be with unbelievers. So often we tolerate fighting over lesser things with our own brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church. Paul urges the church to be unified in the faith. Our unity is not found, listen, it's not found in our social status it's not found in our hobbies, our preferences, our experiences, or any other thing. Listen, our unity is found in this and this alone. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Is he your Savior? Is he your Messiah? Did he die on the cross for you? Was he buried? Did he rise again the third day? Is he returning from you someday? Is he returning for you someday? If you believe those things about Jesus, then guess what? You and I can be friends. We can be friends. That doesn't mean that we're we going to do everything together. 
There may be some areas in which we say, you know, listen, you, you, do, you do things your way and I'm going to do things my way. But listen, fighting, fighting, warring with one another about things is childish. And by the way, let me just say, no one ever wins an argument on social media. Honestly, put the keyboard away. You look silly. Truly. I, I've seen, I, I, I saw two pastors this week going back and forth, and it was embarrassing. Embarrassing. And these are pastors who are leading churches. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if I was a member of that guy's church, whoa. You know, what in the world? Just listen, if you want to argue with somebody, pick up the phone, schedule an appointment with them. But don't go at them with, don't, these keyboard warriors, they're everywhere. Put the keyboard away. Because fighting with one another is childish. It really is. And you're not going to convince anybody. You're just not. And by the way, by the way, you know how it is. When you get a text message from somebody, you read that text message, and it sounds like they're so combative. And they may not be combative at all. There's just nuances of, 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 of conversation that is impossible to convey through a text message. And so that's true with a text message. That's even more true with a social media platform. So just leave it alone. Drop it. And just let, let them be them and you be you. And if you want to follow up later, do it in person. But fighting with one another's child. Number two, e- being easily led astray in doctrine is childish. Look what he says in verse number 14. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now listen, children are tossed to and fro in doctrine. Brother Brady oversees our, our children's ministry and, and he could, if he wanted to, he could get up on Sunday morning and he could tell those kids a whale of a tale. And they'd believe him. I mean, tr- truly, they'd, now if he got up in here and he said the same thing that he was gonna tell those children, if it was false, we would sit here and say, now that's not true. What's he talking about? Some of you, you'd, there'd, be a line, there'd be a line halfway down this aisle saying, I gotta talk to him, I gotta straighten him out because what he said wasn't true. But if you, if you stood up in front of our children, they'll believe anything. Why? Because they're tossed to and fro. I mean, we sometimes use the word gullible. Children can be very gullible. They just believe anything. And the apostle Paul says, listen, that's, that's childish. That doesn't give, that doesn't give evidence that you're, you're measuring us up to the fullness of the stature of Christ. No, no, listen, we, 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 we cannot be easily led away in our doctrine. You should know that not everyone who stands behind a pulpit, everyone who pastors a church, you should know that it, not everyone who writes and publishes a book or website, not everyone who records a podcast or is a YouTube channel, not all of those people should be heeded. You should know that. But we've gotten to the point where we just say, oh, he's got, he's got Christian in his title, he's got Christian in his name, well, then he must be good. Maybe not. Maybe not. The Bible says that we need to try the spirits. That we're to, we're to, we're to and, and how do we do that? Do we do that just because, well, you know, we do that based on opinion? No, we've got to know the book. And when somebody says something that is contrary to what this Bible teaches, you ought to be spiritually mature enough to say, I'm not going that way. I'm not following that doctrine. That's not right. That's not correct. That's not biblical. May God help us. Listen, there, there are some out there who are deceivers. There's some people out there who are lying in wait to lead others into spiritual error. 
That's why it's imperative you know the Bible. Number, number three, unkind speech is childish. Unkind speech. Look what he says in verse number 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Listen, I have an obligation to speak the truth in love. But I also have to think about this. Not everything that is true should be said. Sometimes, sometimes I have to exercise discernment and just say, you know, it's not time to say. Church in Kansas, known as Westboro Baptist Church. Surely some of you remember them. Westboro Baptist Church. I think the name of the pastor was something Phelps, if I remember correctly. Westboro Baptist Church, they became known for standing for truth in a nasty, vicious, hateful way. And they would hold some of the, some of the most meanest, unkind signs you can imagine, calling people names and just being, just being nasty. And I gotta tell you, when that, when, that, when that kind of stuff broke on the news, that, that, was, that was grievous to those of us who really truly do love the Lord and to those of us who wanna speak the truth in love. There's no place for that. There's no place for that. Listen, we stand as a church we, we stand on the truth of the word of God. We stand against sin. We stand against wicked lifestyles. But listen, we can do it in a way that is loving and that is kind. We, we must speak the truth in love. I don't have to be nasty. I don't have to be vicious. I don't have to be hateful towards someone. Listen, I can, I can stand for truth and do so in love. A church in revival, they'll give evidence to this by the members speaking the truth kindly and compassionately. There's just a difference between the two, and you know exactly what it looks like. Lastly and finally, an inability to strengthen your own self, number four, is childish. An inability to strengthen your own self is childish. Now look what he says at the end of verse number 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. You know, when I was a child and I received a wound, I got hurt. My first instinct was to run to my mother for help. I mean, I would, you know, I mean, I got hurt and I, mean, I would run. I didn't care who saw me. I didn't care how loud I cried. I hurt and that's all that mattered was to get to mama, right? And you remember those days, let me kiss it. Who came up with that? I have no idea. But let me kiss it, that'll make your boo-boo all better. It never one time made any of my boo-boos better. Put a Band-Aid on it, do this, do that, get some rest, whatever. But you know, I, I, I grew to a point where I can remember specifically getting hurt and, and, and the last thing I would want to do is run to my mom. And I just, I'm just gonna tough it out. I can remember playing out on a field somewhere and I mean, somebody coming from behind and blindsiding me. And I mean, literally, I mean, I was seeing stars. But that wasn't gonna stop me, man. I jumped up and I'm, you know, and I'm just, I mean, I'm probably staggering at this point in time, right? And, and, and ready, to, ready to fall over in, in, in confusion because of what's, what's happened to me. But I wasn't about to show that I was in pain or that I was suffering, that I was struggling. When anything got too hard, I was, at a certain age, I was dependent on others to do it for me. Listen, Paul writes, that God has equipped his body with an ability to edify itself. In other words, I don't need someone to do it for me. 
When David returned, I, I think about this, when David returned and found Ziklag burned with fire and their families taken, his men spoke of stoning him. It was a crisis moment. And he did something so very important in that moment. I think maybe the, the verse is on the screen. Go to 1 Samuel, or it should be on there maybe. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse number six. Look what the Bible says. And David was greatly distressed. He was wounded. He was hurt. For the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Notice that last phrase. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David had to get to a better place at this moment in time. And listen, there was no one there to help him. I'm talking about another human being. They were talking about killing him, actually. He was all alone. The Bible says that he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. A church in revival, listen, will not be full of members dependent on others to make them happy, to serve them, to solve all their problems. No, no, listen, a church in revival, they're fully capable of building themselves up because, listen, that's what adults, that's what mature people do. Just, just handle it. Boy, that hurt, but I'll be all right. I'll carry on. I'm not gonna let that sidetrack me. I don't, I don't suppose that person really meant the way that that felt to me. So rather than running around and, and telling everybody else about it, if I feel like I need to, I'm gonna go to that person, we'll deal with it, and we'll move on. Why? Because that's what mature adults do. They're able to edify themselves. They don't need somebody who's constantly standing behind them and coddling them and, and, and manipulating them and, and, and constantly make, you know, easing the pathway before them. No, they just do hard things. Are any of these evidences able to be seen in your life? Are they able to be seen in our church? If not, listen, let's strive to grow, to work and to display maturity in our Christian lives and in our church. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You listen so well tonight. And the topic, the subject matter is of utmost importance. We're talking about revival, church family. And there are evidences that a church is in revival. If we were experiencing revival tonight, everyone would know it without a doubt. We'd all know it. Here's the question, do we want it? Do we care? Do we care? Are you growing? Or have you stopped growing? Are you working? Or would you have to admit, you know, there's some things that I gave up a long time ago and I really haven't replaced them with anything. I may not be able to do exactly what I did before, but I can, I can, do, some, I can do something, surely. I can get involved in some way. How about maturity? Hey, listen, let's not contribute to childishness in our church. Mature adults, they don't speak unkindly to one another. Mature adults, they don't, they, 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 they don't fight with one another. No, we, we seek unity with one another, unity in the faith. And may God help us in this way. Would you stand with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.